Welcome, everyone, once again to BAMS Radio here on this Thursday. Uh, the Sweet 16 is underway. Unfortunately, the Alabama Crimson Tide, not a part of March Madness uh, once again, is uh, Villanova, uh, who could be one of the two big favorites, along with the Duke Blue Devils, to win the national championship, uh, ended Alabama's season uh, in the third round, the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament. Alabama in the game for a half, 32 to 25, or excuse me, 32 to 27 down at the half uh, before they finally fall decisively to the Villanova Wildcats. Uh, so it's a, it was a disappointing ending uh, for the Crimson Tide. Uh, certainly uh, they wanted to march on, but still a great uh, third year for Avery Johnson. First win in the NCAA tournament uh, in a decade, since uh, really over a decade, since 2006, uh, Alabama. Uh, winning 20 games, they finished 20 and 16. Colin Sexton, uh, of course, had a great run in the postseason. Has not officially announced yet uh, his NBA intentions, but we all expect him uh, to declare for the draft. Though I know uh, on Twitter his brother was holding up a sign and a picture of, with Colin saying he has not decided yet. But uh, most everyone uh, who has seen the draft projections and has him going in the top 10 as the first guard drafted would be stunned beyond belief. Uh, if that he did not go uh, to the NBA, though, I with Avery Johnson Jr. being able to be a walk on, it's very possible for Colin to come back to the squad. But just do, don't expect it. It wouldn't be a wise financial decision due to injury uh, next year. And, uh, you know, and a lot of times in the NBA, you want to strike while the iron's hot. He really played well down the stretch. And uh, we fully expect Colin Section to move on. But uh, we thank him for coming to the University of Alabama providing juice to the program, and really living up to all the accolades, which can be a really difficult thing coming in as a McDonald's All-American. But we thank Colin Sexton, and uh, then and Armand Davis has already announced he will be a graduate transfer. He did not play at all this year, red-shirted, not surprisingly. Riley Norris, will that will play itself out over time, and that will probably depend on if there's any other roster attrition at the University of Alabama. We don't know that yet. Not really expecting any, though. I still would, you know, keenly watch Braxton Key, who uh, d declared for the NBA draft last year before coming back, and then never really, you know, could get, gain traction or consistency with this group this year. We'll see what Braxton does. Hopefully, he'll return. But and if that's the case, I think I would expect Riley Norris to be a graduate transfer. If Braxton Key looked to move on to another institution, I think you bring back Riley Norris, and that's a no-brainer. But that'll all play itself out over the next several weeks. And we'll monitor that for you on BAM's radio. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. Alabama has returned to the practice field. Two practices in the books uh, in spring football. And, of course, it wouldn't be the University of Alabama if there hadn't been something come out of the first practice. And that was Handgate with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He suffers an injury. From what I understand, he, hit a, uh, he followed through on a pass, hit a uh, teammate's helmet, an offensive lineman, and it looks as though – there's been reports of a sprain. I've also heard from very good sources that it was a small break. He may have had a small surgical procedure. I know he was back on the practice field today with a heavy wrap on his hand. Didn't do really any throwing. Was just trying to grip the football. But we're going to bring in our third amigo. I'm here with Thomas Watts, of course, the wizard behind the curtain producing. And he'll give his take on Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts here shortly. But William Barger is with us from 89 to 93. National champion for the Crimson Tide in 92 and a, a guy that's really still close to the football program. William, welcome back to BAMS, and uh, I know you've been monitoring this situation closely. Give us your thoughts and what you're hearing on this injury to Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Well, you know, I think the good news, Drew, is, is it turned out to be, you know, not as serious as, as it was initially thought on Tuesday. Um, you know, he did have a procedure done yesterday. Um, you know, it turned out to actually not be his thumb, um, you know, he's expected to, uh, you know, he's back at practice today, um, not throwing, obviously, but, you know, going through practice, like you said, with a, with a wrap and a glove on his throwing hand. And, uh, you know, from what I was told, um, you know, maybe by this time next week, he should be throwing the football again. It depends on, you know, how his body heals. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's two different schools of thought out there. One of them is, you know, two to three weeks. There's another one that's even longer, you know, four to six weeks. You know, I, I think the safe bet right now is, you know, there is an outside chance that, that maybe he gets back to practice in a, in a full-speed manner. Um, you know, 
somewhere maybe around a week before a day. You know, I think that decision whether or not he plays in that game, um, you know, certainly I think ESPN and Nick Saban would like to see him play in that game because more people will show up to Bryant-Denny Stadium and, you know, tune in to watch the uh, the broadcast on ESPN. But, you know, the, the the good news is is everybody needs to breathe a sigh of relief that, that are Alabama fans. This isn't a serious injury. Um, even if he does miss the whole spring, he'll still be 100%. Um, you know, by the time uh, the summer session starts at the end of May and can go into seven-on-seven workouts, you know, full speed, 100% healthy. And that's correct, and uh, you're right. I've been hearing the same thing. It was not the thumb. Uh, you know, it, I was hearing a small bone in the hand. Uh, of course, Matt Zenitz, who I have a lot of respect for for L.com, was calling it a sprain. It could have been a mixture of both in a way. It could have sprained something sprained his hand just a tad, had a small break. But, again, we are both hearing that he did have a, a procedure done to correct something. Uh, and so, uh, you know, th- that's the biggest thing. It doesn't sound like it's going to, uh, you know, be as – you know, I said six weeks on my Twitter account. May not quite be that long. Uh, but and he will be able to do some things in practice. But I don't think he's going to do a lot of throwing. Uh, probably I, – I wouldn't expect him for A-Day, which puts a premium on Mac Jones uh, and Jalen Hurts. And they're going to, you know, they're the only other two scholarship quarterbacks. And then uh, but before we, uh, you know, give get Thomas's take on Jalen Hurts and and uh, and Tua and where this may have the quarterback race, William, I wanted to talk about Gardner Minshew. Uh, you know, the, the thought was that, you know, he never announced it on Twitter, but that the reports were he had committed to the coaches after visiting, uh, eliminated Tennessee, who ended up going with Keller Chris, the graduate transfer from Stanford. The former East Carolina quarterback was going to come to Alabama uh, be, and enter the quarterback race. Going to really be a backup because he wanted to go into coaching. Uh, he had started off and on at East Carolina in his career, uh, but now with the tragedy at East Carolina, I mean, excuse me, at Washington State under Mike Leach, where his, you know, what would have been the heavy favorite to be his starting quarterback tragically took his own life. Uh, this opportunity opens up. Gardner Minshew will now graduate transfer to Washington State and not Alabama. He will not be in the quarterback room. Uh, your thoughts on that, William, and then how does this affect things? I know there's been a lot of speculation about uh, a transfer of Jalen Hurts. To me, it, it almost assures now that he will be here for 2018, but I know uh, you have stated uh, uh, via social media that you thought uh, he was going to stay anyway. Yeah, I don't think that was, you know, all the, the rigor moran that's out there about Jalen Hurts, you know, changing positions, you know, that that conversation has never taken place. Um, you know, he, he was going to have the opportunity to, you know, come back this spring and compete for the starting job, <clears throat> um, you know, as he should, um, you know, being a returning, you know, two-year starter. Um, there was never any conversations that took place about him changing positions. Um, despite however many people want to put that on message boards, he's never been anything but a quarterback. And, you know, that's, you know, especially now after the injury to Tua, um, you know, that's what Alabama needs him to be. Um, as far as Minshew is concerned, you know, I, I didn't understand. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of, you know, an uptick on, on message boards and social media about him possibly joining the team. Um, as a graduate transfer, but, you know, when you look at, you know, his career path at, at a lesser program like Eastern Carolina, Drew, you know, he was benched three times last year at Eastern Carolina. So, you know, for all the people that thought that, you know, he was going to come in and, you know, leapfrog over Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts and be the backup to, uh, you know, to a tongue of Iloa in the 2018 season, um, you know, that was, that was never in play, probably best case scenario, he was going to be the fourth team quarterback, but, and, you know, there's so many people and I give them the benefit of the doubt because they probably haven't had a chance to see, um, you know, practices or scrimmages and how well, um, you know, Mac Jones did last year, um, you know, as, as the, you know, quote unquote third team quarterback, um, you know, he was able to, you know, extend drives and manufacture points, um, you know, behind the third-team offensive line, which is a miracle upon itself. But, you know, this kid is, is very talented, um, you know, could have gone to five or six other SEC programs and, and had a much easy, easier path 
um, to factor in, you know, to a starting job elsewhere. But, you know, I give that kid a lot of credit uh, for coming to Alabama, you know, knowing that he was coming into, you know, a program where Jalen Hurts was the returning starter, uh, the reigning SEC player of the year. You know, they had just signed, you know, which a lot of people felt like was the number one quarterback in the country from a dual threat standpoint and to a tongue of Iloa. And, you know, this guy had the, you know, to quote Les Miles, had the chest to him to say, you know what, I want to go to Alabama and, and just see how good I, you know, I possibly can be. And, you know, I saw a lot of positive things about Mac Jones last year, um, you know, based on the limited amount of, of work that he got, you know, with, with a good offensive line in front of him. And I think he's got, you know, he's probably somewhere, um, you know, you know, he's not a true pocket passer. He's not an A.J. McCarron. Um, but, but, you know, he's not a Jalen Hurts or a Tua Tungabailoa. He's not a dual threat guy. But I would, I would lean more towards the dual threat side versus the pro style side because, you know, most people that get the, the pro style label put on them, you know, they're kind of a, a stiff in the pocket and they don't have the ability to uh, extend plays with their legs. Um, and, you know, he's not a quick twitch guy like Jalen or Tua, but once he gets going, he does have really good straight ahead speed. Um, probably maybe not quite at the level of an AJ McCarron with his arm, but, you know, there's still a chance that that develops and improves and grows. But I've said this before, and I've gone on the record and said this, he is easily the best third team quarterback that I've seen, you know, of the Nick Saban era. Well, and I'm going to say something controversial. I, you know, I, I'm anxious to see them both in scrimmage work because I think the race between, uh, you know, Tua and Jalen, that won't be as close as perhaps it is between Jalen and Mac Jones because I just think Mac Jones has some talent. I think he fits the offense better than Jalen, and that's not Jalen's fault. If Alabama wanted to be, you know, as effective as they needed to be with Jalen at quarterback, what they'd need to do is be a spread option offense. And that's not what Nick right. Saban wants. That's not what Alabama wants. And that's where I've been getting criticism on Twitter because everybody thinks I'm trashing Jalen or I'm putting him down. Jalen just doesn't fit what they want to do offensively. If he went somewhere else uh, where they were running a spread option, if he went to a Georgia Tech, if he went to somebody, uh, even a Nebraska, what Scott Frost may do there or – you know, I'm just about coming up with schools, even Baylor, what Matt Rule might do, then I think he would be a really good football player. And, he's, and he was a good football player at Alabama. He has been a good football player. He just, he just doesn't fit what they want done. And Tua, is, you know, is a good enough runner. Now, he's not Jalen Hurts as a runner, but he's certainly good enough where he can give them dual threat capabilities. And uh, But he just has a special skill set as a passer. And I think Mac Jones has the ability – to be a really good passer, too, but we don't know yet. We have to see uh, how much he's improved. Now, I, I do, I'd do. i like to see if Mac Jones can put some pressure on Jalen uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 and see where that goes. You know, and I have said that I felt like to make the NFL, and I still believe this, that Jalen Hurts would need to change positions, but I agree completely with you. I don't think that's ever been mentioned at Alabama, and I don't expect him to change positions. I've gone on record as saying that. I've said that I wished he would to give himself the best chance, but I don't think his heart's in it. It's kind of like when they tried to move Blake Sims to a bunch of different positions. And I, I, another thing that's been making me kind of irked on Twitter is people keep referring to Blake Sims as a running back who played quarterback at Alabama. Actually, you mutton heads, he only played <laughs> running back a little bit at Alabama and got cussed out so much by Nick Saban, he went back to where he, what he'd always played through youth and high school, and that's quarterback. And he honestly was a spread option quarterback too, but this is going to make people mad again. Hey, hey Drew, don't forget. Hey, Drew, don't forget that uh, for for the better part of his true freshman year, he worked at DB as well. Yeah, he uh, did. Talking about they, Blake Sims. Yeah, they moved him. He even played a little receiver. I mean, they moved him all over yeah. the place. But the bottom line now, is now the one the, the one thing the one thing that I do want to get a little bit salty with you about and. Um, you know, people are going to be surprised at me for saying this because I am such a, or at least, you know, up until the Tennessee game last year, um, I was a prototypical Jalen Hurts nut hugger. Um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit about Tua. 
um, as far as what he brings from a dual threat capability. Now, if you look at, um, you know, Jalen Hurts' 40 time, you know, there, there's been reports out there that he's a high 4-4 guy. Um, you know, certainly I think legit 4-5 guy. You know, I think two is probably somewhere around in the 4-7 in the range. But especially in that second half of the national championship game, um, you know, I think he proved that, you know, he, he is a true dual threat quarterback. You know, he may not oh, I know, agree be with a that. guy that, you know, he may not be a guy that you game plan around for that. But let me tell you something, um, you know, when, when it comes time to run a zone read play or, or, you know, the pocket breaks down and that guy decides to run, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of football in the last 30 years since I've, you know, I've been a, you know, a, a fan versus a player. And let me tell you something. Um, Tua Tungavailoa is a very, very big threat running the football, especially in the SEC. And, and I think that's probably, you know, everybody has fallen in love with that arm talent. Um, you know, Drew, you and Ryan Fowler were probably the two that fell in love with it the quickest. But I think the, the intangibles, um, especially that he showed in the second half versus Georgia, um, or that pocket broke down, you know, certainly, you know, Jonah Williams, who was playing hurt before his ankle, five, you know, finally gave out, was having uh, trouble with Georgia's, uh, you know, best edge rusher, Bellamy. And, you know, obviously Alex Leatherwood had just as many, if not more, problems with him. But, you know, Tua, Tua is legit when it comes to tucking and running, you know, for somebody that's probably, I don't know, 5'11", 6 foot, whatever you want to call him. He is a salty, tough runner um, when it comes time to making a decision. Hey, guess what? The pocket's broken down. I've got to pick up as many yards as I possibly can to try and turn this negative play that's unfolded in front of me into a positive play. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I've seen quarterbacks that have just as much, if not more, arm talent than Tua Tungvaloa does. But the thing that impressed me more about what he did in that second half versus Georgia was how salty of a runner that he was when it came time to make that decision. You know, guess what? There's nobody open. I've got to make something out of nothing. And that's what really made me, you know, uh, that that probably even happened for me more uh, in the latter part of the season, you know, from the second half of the Tennessee game until the Georgia game, just seeing how tough that guy is and how he doesn't have a problem sticking his nose in there and picking up the extra yards when there's nothing left to absolutely drain out of a play that he can drain it. I think certainly he can extend plays, but when, when you really want to see, you know, what, what somebody's mental toughness is um, to go along with their physical attributes, I think the guy's salty as hell. Um, running the football, and he's willing to stick his nose in there and run people slap ass over. Well, I agree with that, too. I, I think he's a sneaky, shifty runner. I definitely think he has running ability. He's just not, you know, maybe the the, uh, the complete threat that as a runner that Jalen Hurts is, maybe for the big plays, but he can make plays with his legs. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he made a couple of big ones in that game against Georgia. He made uh, a really nice run against Tennessee for a 30-plus yard touchdown where he faked someone out of their jock. So he can definitely run. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's matter of fact, I think he's even a slightly better runner than Blake Sims. Uh, but the one thing I was going to finish my thought with Blake was the thing that were Blake was a quarterback, and that's why they ended up leaving him there. And he surprised a lot of people. You know, I I, I see him getting still downed a lot of times, and they want to give all the credit to Amari Cooper, but uh, somebody had to give Amari Cooper the football. And they, they try to say that he, he did nothing but throw screens. But I don't know if these fools have gone back and rewatched the Iron Bowl in 2014 or the Florida game in 2014 or a myriad of other games. But uh, to be honest with you, Blake Sims was as good a deep ball thrower as Alabama's had in a long time. He had great touch on the ball. And, he, he, and the thing is, he, I think he was even better than Jake Coker. And Coker finished his career strong. But uh, he and he uh, he uh, to be honest, and, and this is going to sound like blasphemy. I think he was a better deep ball thrower than AJ McCarron, even though McCarron was a better oh, all-around sure. passer. But Blake Sims gets a raw deal here, 
And saying he's a running back is just flat out stupid. He was a quarterback. He was just too short to be a pro and probably didn't quite have enough arm talent to be. Because uh, people, I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to be an NFL quarterback. The guy was a very good college QB. And you cannot take away for the fact that at the time of his senior year, he broke a lot of total offense records. Now, a lot of those records have been broken. Uh, Jalen Hurts has even broken some of those records because of all the rushing yards he's been able to accumulate. But Blake Sims, for one year, was as good as Alabama's had at quarterback in a while. And saying he's not is being totally, completely disrespectful of the young man. Well, the reason that people say that, Drew, and this isn't something that they should lay at the feet of Blake Sims. The reason that they say that, and, you know, they, they forget about, you know, that opening pass where he dropped a dime in Kenyon Drake's bread basket against Florida oh, yeah. um, in 2014. You know, let's don't forget about what him and Amari did through the course of that season. And, yeah, a lot of that stuff was perimeter bubble screens and then tunnel screens. That's that's just the Lane Kiffin offense. But for people to lay uh, blame at Blake Sims' feet, no, he was a great thrower of the deep ball. I thought he had very good arm talent. But the reason why all these Alabama fans lay that blame at, at, at Blake Sims' feet is because what happened in the playoff game versus Ohio State. And you shouldn't blame Blake Sims for that. That was a Lane Kiffin-Nick Saban decision uh, to not run they totally Derek went away from feeding the ball to Derrick Henry. Had they done, you know, that, that Ohio State second half was basically a complete microcosm and replay of why Kirby Smart and Jim Chaney lost the game to Alabama uh, three months ago. You know, Jim Chaney's such a mongo. He refused to give the ball in the second half to Alabama to Georgia's hot hand at running back that was Sony Michelle versus Nick Chubb. And that was exactly what happened against Ohio State in the second half um, for the 2014 playoff game at Alabama. It wasn't Blake Sims' fault. It was Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin not feeding the ball to Derrick Henry. And I just want to uh, jump in real quick. Yeah, Sorry. go ahead and give your, give your take on the quarterbacks, well, Thomas. Just, just to reinforce the Sugar Bowl Ohio State point, even watching the coaching staff as a whole barf all over themselves. And, uh, you know, th this was partial. I, I would lay a lot of it on the defense. But let's talk about the string of things that were like six inches away from being completely different. I would argue that Reggie Ragland's injury where he gets concussed is directly responsible for Zeke Elliott's later 75-yard touchdown because that's where Ragland was playing. But even talking about just Blake Sims. Firstly, Alabama's throwing for the tie as time expires. But even before that, if Blake Sims lets the ball go a brief, you know, a breath earlier, or if Von Bell is not Von Bell, Alabama gets a touchdown in the fourth quarter to I believe OJ Howard in the corner of the end zone, and we're talking about overtime against Ohio State. Now, you can certainly argue that Ohio State was functionally unstoppable once Reggie Ragland got out, but, uh, you know, now we're starting to get way, way, way into whatever. But assuming Alabama wins that game, it'll be a ballroom brawl against the Oregon Ducks, but realize that Ohio State just annihilated Oregon 10 days later. So, you know, you're talking a play here, a play there, much like other Alabama seasons where they haven't won the national championship other under Nick Saban, from Alabama winning a title. So I don't really understand the criticism of Blake Sims. And if you think I'm wrong, please go back and watch a couple of those plays and tell me what you see. Hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you and call you silly. Back to you, Drew. Sorry, I had to hey, jump Thomas, in. Hey, Thomas, I'll give you one better besides Reggie Ragland. There was another player in the second half that got concussed and is one of the best safeties in the NFL right now. And he was one of the best safeties in college football um, for, for a couple of years, certainly uh, during that game. Landon Collins got concussed as well. Certainly. So, I mean, the point I was trying to make is for all of the absurdity that Blake Sims gets from a lot of Alabama fans, you know, we're, 
four or five different plays from Alabama winning another national championship here. It's not like you go from Brett Favre to Brett Hundley as you go from Blake Sims to Jake Coker or whichever. Or, you know, to directly correlate from Blake Sims to Jalen Hurts. That that's that's just silly. But anyway, I'm sorry. I just I had to get yep. into that because well, whenever no, that yeah, starts you know, drives you know, me nuts. Yeah, I and then guys I completely agree. I mean I and Blake, I know Wayne Kiffin helped him a lot with the way he schemed, and I know at times he didn't read defenses supremely well, but he still he still threw the deep ball well. There, you you can just watch the film. I mean, and the thing is, we all agree that Will Muschamp knows defense, and Will Muschamp tried to play zone against Florida when Florida came to Tuscaloosa. I was in the stands watching it from a coaching film perspective because I was behind uh, in the end zone. I'm telling. Telling you, he was dissecting and finding open guys. He knew where to go with the ball. He'd been coached well by Kiffin, and uh, the kid is a better football player than people give him credit for. And quite yep. frankly, I mean, he's a better passer than Jalen has been. Just not as dynamic an athlete or as a runner. And again, that was more uh, scheming by Lane Kiffin. Lane schemed around Jalen's deficiencies when he was a freshman uh, and played to his strengths and. And uh, and Jalen has always his Jalen's problem has always been throwing the ball down the field. I mean that that's that and that's why he's going to lose this job to Tua because he just can't get the ball consistently down the field. Now he's a good athlete, he's a good runner, uh, but uh, since Alabama's not going to you know uh, marry themselves to being a spread option team, he's never going to be as effective uh, as he could be. But uh, but Thomas, to go back to you. Uh, I want you to give your take. William and I have been talking about Tua and Jalen and uh, and kind of how what we feel about it. Everybody knows my take. I think Tua is going to be the starting quarterback on this team when he's healthy. Uh, he's a transcendent talent. I, I have no problem with Jalen staying at quarterback. People act like I do. I, I was just mentioning a position change in the offseason because of what his future in the NFL. If he wants to go into coaching and stay at quarterback, I have no problem with it. I have no problem if at some point he transfers. I don't think he will now for this season. I've changed my mind on that with Gardner Minshew now leaving. Uh, and, again, I, I think I think uh, Tua can take this offense to a new level. I think in one half we saw him hit nine different receivers. We saw him involve the whole offense. It wasn't perfect. He did throw an interception. He did, uh, you know, make a couple of mistakes. But there's no doubt about it. He, you know, takes some sacks. But uh, you see him, he has the natural ability to look off the safety. I mean, the safety, uh, you know, that safety, is, he's going to be scarred for life for Georgia because he was a senior and Tua looked him off and threw a dagger to win the national championship. And the, the young man just has gifts that you haven't seen. And like Williams even pointed out, and even underrated running ability, he just has the whole skill set. And I think uh, this offense can be as good as it's ever been at Alabama, I think it can be even better than the standard, which is the 2012 group with A.J. McCarron. That national championship team had a lot of balance. But I think this group can be even better. As William has pointed out, nine five-stars could be starting, and I think it can be even more explosive than that in that offense. And I think Tua, it's the trigger, can turn into a Heisman candidate, maybe this year, but if not this year, then in the future, because I think he's that special. But uh, Thomas, I know you've been wanting to talk about this. What is your take on Tua and the quarterback situation and Jalen Hurts? Well, uh, okay. The the first part of this whole take is I don't really understand what feels like fan angst for taking either Jalen Hurts or Tua's side in this competition. Like, Drew, I, I don't stay on Twitter regularly, but I see some of the, the interactions that you have, and I think describing those interactions as angsty would be fair. And I, I just look at it this way. My question that I continuously pose when this comes up is, do you want to drive the Ferrari or do you want to drive the Bugatti to work? Because Alabama can win a lot of games with either quarterback. So, you know... At worst, assuming Tua starts, you've got a guy that played fantastic football for a half and had did some crazy things in relief duty. And at worst, Jalen Hurts somehow wins this job or Tua gets hurt. You have a guy that, you know, he did set. He was an SEC Offensive Player of the Year. 
and he does have a solid win-loss record. Now, he has struggled against elite defenses, so both of those things are true. But to me, that's Bugatti versus Ferrari. The thing that I get with it is, for Tua, I want to see more. And not because I think he's just terrible or I think Jalen is great. I've been burned prognosticating or being in conversations talking about Garrett Gilbert, the former Texas quarterback who finished his career at SMU, or more recently, Jeremy Johnson for the Auburn Tigers. And I understand two is a different player. You watch some of those passes on two touchdown passes, two of the touchdown passes in the national championship game. I believe his first one, Tua was going to throw that ball before, he was rearing back to throw the ball before the wide receiver came out of his break. That's NFL level. And, you know, just diagram the final touchdown pass. It was very, very well played by Tua. It still only happens if two or three things go correctly. And if I'm the Georgia safety, I'm not scarred for life. I'm beating that corner with a wet noodle for the next 20 years because that corner completely blew it. But anyway, you know, you would think 94 or not, 93 or 94 starts between them, they'd know to, co- to cover, do a cover too, but that's a whole different conversation. Anyway, to my central point, I, I, I want to see more from Tua. And the only thing I really disagree with you on, Drew, I see the skill set, but before we say transcendent, because, you know, earlier on Twitter you were saying, oh, he's going to be mentioned with the Stablers and the Pat Trammels of the Alabama world. Well, you're starting to push into, you know, greatest quarterbacks in Alabama history for sure. And then in some cases, you're pushing greatest quarterbacks in the game. And when you say that, I start thinking about the Jameis Winstons and the Cam Newtons and the Deshaun Watsons. And whatever you have to say about those three players, they were absolutely transcendent in college at the quarterback position for different reasons. And when you go that far, I think it's a bridge too far. So that's all I'm saying. I think I've been convinced or I have heard enough to where I think Tua will be the starter. But I want to see more before I jump on the transcendent Alabama's going to just roll to another national championship bandwagon because really it's not like the offense was awful, particularly Want if you look at how Jalen was able to maneuver this team up until really the Auburn game. Now, Drew, I do have a question for you and for you, William. If you remember back towards the end of November, there was a lot of angstiness coming out of Tuscaloosa, or at least maybe the fan base and some of the football players, that Tua was the better quarterback, Jalen lost the team, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I know we all lived that in November. To me, the Auburn game was the first time I saw Jalen Hurts really, really press. And nothing, to me, nothing is better shown than his cross the body into the middle of the field should have been intercepted but was almost a touchdown play And I believe, the third quarter of that game. So with that in mind, do you think all, let's call it the angstiness, was forcing Jalen to press and try and make plays that weren't there? Because that's a big change to me, and I'm wondering if you think this Tua thing could have been the catalyst, just as a discussion point. Well, you know, I'll take that question from you, Thomas, real quickly, and I think that's something that, you know, certainly has the, the you know, the majority of the Alabama football fan base on torque. Um, number one, there's a certain percentage of the fan base that doesn't understand why um, on Tuesday, why Jalen Hurts was, you know, QB1 taking the first snap, okay? Um, there's also the same amount of people that are, you know, curious and, and confused why because the fact that Alex Leatherwood came in in relief of Jonah Williams, who, by the way, already had an ankle injury, um, you know, going into that game, and he was playing hurt. Um, you know, they, they want to look at, at, at the same thing, and they want, they want to look out there, you know, for day one at spring practice, and they're like, why isn't Alex Leatherwood one of the five best offensive linemen? Um, you know, it, it's a real simple solution, Thomas. Um, you don't win a starting job 
um, especially from an established starter from the year before, based on one half of football. Uh, you know, look, we can argue this, but in the biggest game of the year, um, you know, certainly uh, two arose to the occasion. You know, he made his plays. He did his deal. Um, but th- there's other people that are sitting there going, well, you know, why isn't Alex Leatherwood uh, one of the five best offensive linemen? Um, you know, he might be. But as we're sitting here, um, you know, on Thursday, um, he's not. And, you know, Jedrick Wills was, was the guy that was slid in there after Matt Womack got hurt at right tackle. Uh, and I'm not sitting here trying to say that Alex Leatherwood is not going to be a starter um, when they play at, you know, Louisville. But the same thing goes for, you know, Tua Tungvaloa. Um, He's got to earn that starting job. It doesn't matter what, you know, you, me, or Drew think. Um, he's got to earn it. And it, it, that, that's how teams are formed. That's how an, an organization um, you know, is formed. And it, look, we all know that probably somewhere between Louisville and the Texas A&M game, I think we can all probably agree that Tua Tungvaloa is going to be the starting quarterback. But what's got all these damn bammers, you know, just beat up and, and, and you know, on the verge of, you know, wanting to fight somebody is they don't get that Nick Saban has a little bit different take on how somebody wins a starting position. And you can apply it to the quarterback spot. You can apply it to Alex Leatherwood and Jonah Williams at left tackle. Listen, I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that Alex Leatherwood is not one of the best five offensive linemen. He might be, and there's some things going on there that, where he might slide inside and, and, you know, be one of the top five guys on the O-line, um, maybe even at right tackle if Lester Cotton doesn't get his shit together. But you don't earn a job with a good performance in one half of football. You've got to do it over time. And, and that's what most Alabama fans don't get is there's no doubt that, that – that, you know, Tua Tungvaloa is the better passer than Jalen Hurts. But take what you get from Nick Saban and, and how he's playing this thing out. And take what you get from, um, you know, if Alex Leatherwood was one of the best five, why did Jedrick Wills move right in there after uh, Matt Womack broke his foot? He's not one of the best five. Not at least right now as we sit here. So that that's my point. And it'll be interesting because I know uh, in the first practice, Jonah Williams also saw some time at left guard with Alex Weatherwood with the ones at left tackle. Uh, he'll probably see some time at center. They're just going to have to make sure and see where all five of these guys fit. Uh, I do think uh, that I eventually, especially if Lester Cotton, who has uh, never been one of my favorites, uh, and, I, and, I, and I only say that because <laughs> – the kid has never, uh, you know, been consistent. Uh, he does have talent. There is no question. Uh, but he's never been able to consistently play at a high level. Uh, you know, he has trouble with his assignments. You know, he uh, he struggles sometimes, uh, you know, to get the job done on a day, on a down-in, down-out basis. I would not be shocked at all uh, if, you know, he were to lose his job uh, and someone else be moved in there to that left guard spot. Uh, even Joshua Castor, I think, will, will be heavily involved. I think it's a good well, – from an offensive line perspective, Alabama fans just need to know that it's a good problem to have. They have a lot of talent. Uh, I think Matt Womack is not maybe as talented as some of these other guys, but he may even get a look at right guard because uh, when he comes back, because I know he's 6'7", but you know Nick Saban had Herman Johnson, who was 6'7", at LSU do that. And Womack is a guy that's earned the coach's trust. Plus, you have to take into account – if Tua is the quarterback, he's left-handed. Do they move Jonah Williams to right tackle? Do they trust Jedrick Wills? I certainly think Jedrick Wills is athletic enough. He's a freak uh, to uh, you know play that right tackle spot and protect uh, Tua's blind side. But uh, that's going to have to all go into consideration because we know Jonah has played both of them. Regardless, Jonah Williams will be among that five. He will be starting. Uh, and, then, and then, like William said, it's just going to depend 
on Leatherwood continuing to perform, and it may also depend on if they start having a Shank Taylor Award and if Lester Cotton wins it in a landslide. Now to continue uh, our conversation, no doubt about it, uh, as Alabama and the spring drills continue to unfold, uh, the uh, quarterback situation is going to play itself out. We, uh, the, the, the best thing that came out of the whole situation is that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is not injured as severely as, as William put it, as, he, as everyone had feared. He will be back. And if it's late May, or excuse me, if it's early May, like I originally reported, then it's early May. But I don't think it's going to uh, set him back too much in the situation. Uh, I think, as William said, he may not get uh, these scrimmage reps, but uh, he, he has already proven himself uh, in scrimmages last spring and in the fall and really with what he did at the end of last year. And he's still going to be very active and around the team and doing what he can. Uh, eventually, he may throw some. Uh, he'll be in drill work. He'll be in the film room with Dan Enos. And I can confirm that Dan Enos was very impressed with what he saw out of Tua in the first practice before the injury. And I think Mac Jones and Jalen also did some good things as well. Uh, but I was told that, uh, that uh, basically Enos told some people that he knew Tua was good, but he didn't realize how special his accuracy and arm talent were, and everybody is anxious to see that. Uh, but, William, I've got to ask, With uh, I know we, we talked a little bit about it now that Matt Womack is out with that foot injury. Do you think that it's going to prevent him from hanging on to a job, or can he, uh, can he get back in the mix uh, in the summer and into fall camp to, to win one of those five positions back? No, I certainly think he can, Drew, and I think he, you know, um, if you look at Matt Womack's body of work, I, I think he's a guy that is, you know, a nasty-ass, you know, run blocker. He'll put you on your back, um, you know, in a hurry. You know, he struggled a little bit, um, you know, in pass pro, uh, you know, versus, you know, elite pass rushers. But, you know, I, I think what, uh, you know, as far as the offensive line's concerned, um, I, I think that's, you know, probably to me, going to shake out you know um i you know i i knew a week ago that the josh casher was going to come out and be the number one guy um at left guard but you know you know right now you've got the the o-line lineup that's you know jonah williams at left uh, left tackle josh casher at left guard ross pierce baker at center lester cotton um, you know, at, at uh, right guard and, and, you know, Wills, uh, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. But, you know, that thing is a fluid situation. It, it can uh, change real quick. I think that, um, to me, you know, people are going to focus on that. It's, it's no different than, you know, the quarterback race. But to me, um, I, I think the, the number one dynamic on this team that has to be answered is over there on the other side of the football at, at defensive uh, inside linebacker. You know, you've got Matt Wilson and, and Dylan Moses, you know, two former five-star recruits. Great that those are the two front guys that are, that are lining up there. Both of those guys are coming off of, you know, season ending injuries. Um, and, you know, we're not going to speculate on this show about, um, you know, what's happened to Vandarius Cowan and Markel Benton. Both those guys are in the doghouse. Um, but, you know, to me, I think the, the, the biggest thing that this team needs is an answer at inside linebacker if, you know, both Mac Wilson and, and Dylan Moses get hurt again, and there is no answer out there for that. What was your thoughts on Keith Holcomb concentrating on baseball? Um, you know, based on you know everything that I've been told, um, I, you know, I don't blame him for that. You know, I've been told that he's got a very good chance of, you know, getting drafted, um, maybe even into you know the first round of the Major League Baseball uh, baseball draft in June. Um. You know, there's a lot of people that want to say that, you know, that performance against Mississippi State, I think it was, 
not the norm. I mean, it was bad. Trust me, it was really bad. But, you know, that that was, you know, the performance that, you know, elevated a guy in Dylan Moses that didn't really have a grasp on the playbook. But, but you know, he got elevated the next week versus Auburn. And, you know, Dylan Moses made 10 tackles. Um, you know, I think Keith Holcomb is a great program, you know, program guy. Um, should he be – you know, a, a second-team guy for an NFL defense and inside linebacker? Probably not. But you have to take into consideration, again, and I'm trying to be, you know, pro-Alabama here. Um, you know, the, the, he's got juvenile diabetes, and, you know, that's a, uh, you know, problem amongst itself. But I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, Dylan Moses and Mike Wilson. Um, I think those are the two guys that that have the the best skill set to, you know, man those two positions. But you know, let's see what happens. Um, you know, once the ball snapped, um, you know, Keith Holcomb had a pretty rough uh, game against you know Mississippi State, and and a lot of people jumped his ass. I, you know, we'll see what happens, Drew, but. I'm sitting here saying that I think possibly the the best career path for, you know, Keith Holcomb could be uh, getting drafted into, you know, the Major League Baseball draft. I mean, I think baseball is probably his future, but wouldn't be surprised if he comes back in the fall to help provide depth and, of course, can also play special teams. But I think they may end up needing him. It's going to depend on how far Ben comes, if he can get out of the doghouse. And we don't know the ultimate future of Vanderis Cowan. We certainly hope the young man can straighten himself out. He has ability and talent, but going to have to earn the trust of the coaches. And now he's kind of got a fresh slate in a, in a way because they have a new staff. But uh, you're going to still have to, you know, that situation is going to have to be dealt with uh, from that, from what we understand, a failed drug test. It was the NCAA, uh, you know, uh, mandated. And if, if that's the case, there'll be some sort of suspension. But hopefully he can come back from it and uh, continue to be a part of the program because I know – Jeremy Pruitt, when he recruited him, uh, thought that they, he had a, a lot of talent, and so uh, we're all, we're going to be monitoring that closely as well. And uh, and and William, uh, I know uh, you've uh, been really high on him since last year, and where and this was about the time that he really started asserting himself. But it sounds like from those that I've been talking to, you, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, Raekwon Davis is continuing to assert himself, and he he looks to be the alpha dog on that defensive line, along with the rising senior, Isaiah Bugs, who we saw Jaron Reed, uh, who improved a lot between his junior and senior year coming out of junior college. I'm sure they're hoping for the same jump from Isaiah Bugs. That, I mean, you, you've got a guy that, you know, in Raekwon Davis that, um, you know, he, he's got first-round draft pick ability as, as a player. Um, he comes to practice every day as a walk-on trying to, you know, make the team. Um, you know, I, I think last year, you know, that was one of the most sneaky things that, you know, people didn't pay attention to. You know, Raekwon Davis was the leading sack artist on that defense last year. Um, he's coming back, you know, this year. Um, has, has a great work ethic, I think. Um, might even change the work ethic. That, that a lot of people see from, um, you know, recruits as they come into the Alabama football program. Um, you know, to me, I think the two, you know, big people that people are looking for as Alabama fans are Raquan Davis and Fidarian Mathis. This is now wearing number 48. He looked very impressive in some of the practice video I watched and really anxious to see him and what Coach Cool can do. With uh, uh, Fedarian Mathis, who's a redshirt freshman uh, from Monroe, uh, Louisiana. Really looking forward to that. And we saw some of Savion Smith as well. He's a big kid, good looking corner. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, six foot two. Uh, got a chance to have two big corners. Those guys are definitely going to be the favorites uh, to be the starting corners for Alabama. We just want to see kind of where Jared Maiden may fit in. Shyam Carter, who finished this uh, the national championship game at Star ahead of. Tony Brown. Shaim has shown flashes of ability, but really anxious to see some of those guys because 
uh, as we know, Alabama's having to practice Devonta Smith and Slade Bolden at corner and safety, respectively. But that's mainly due to the fact they don't have enough bodies in the secondary. I do believe that both those guys, Devonta Smith and uh, Slade Bolden, are going to be wide receivers at Alabama. But they need the bodies for practice. So don't look too much into that uh, until Patrick Sertain gets here. Uh, and uh, also Josh Job. Heard Job has been at practice. Look, and he's a legit six foot one, uh, very impressive uh, looking athlete. And so uh, we're going to continue to monitor that and see where all these uh, pieces fit. Uh, and uh, we'll hear from Nick Saban. Uh, by the time we come to you next week on BAMS, he would have spoken to the media on Tuesday. I'm sure you'll have an update on Tua Tonga-Vailoa and what officially happened with that injury. But we do know it's somewhere between a sprain and maybe a small surgical procedure uh, to a small bone in his hand. Not the thumb, as William and I have told you tonight, but we anticipate Tua being back sooner rather than later. Maybe uh, back to, to throw in some by the end of spring, but even if he doesn't, uh, we, he's still going to be in uh, the mix at this. Uh, it's going to and at quarterback and still be the favorite in most people's eyes to come away with this job in the fall, barring another setback. And hopefully that's not going to be the case. But again, uh, we're going to wrap it up here tonight on this BAMS radio edition. It's been a quick one, uh, a lot of conversation, mostly about the quarterbacks. We'll have even more looked into spring, into spring practices. Uh, more uh, as Alabama will be several workouts in by the time uh, we come to you next week. Uh, and we'll bring you more uh, reaction from the uh, practice field and buzz that we're hearing. Uh, but we always enjoy it. I hope the listeners enjoyed BAMS radio tonight. Uh, we always appreciate the feedback we get. Thank you for everyone for uh, taking part in it. We know the listenership has been growing. I want to thank Thomas Watts for uh, you know putting everything together tonight and William Redfish Barger for joining us. I'm your host, Rudy Arman. I hope your bracket's better than mine. Mine's not very good. And if you're a Texas A&M fan right now, you won't be listening to this, but you're also going to have to have a drink because they're down about 30 points near the end of the first half to Michigan. So that's another SEC school that's going down in flames. But uh, Sister Jean and, uh, and Loyola, they're up four at halftime as they continue their magic over Nevada. But we'll bring you more Alabama Crimson Tide conversation next week on BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Rudy Arman. Good night and roll tide.